0: how many takes before I don't giggle while I'm saying whatever I'm saying.
1: Do we have to be serious? I don't think we have to be serious. No, we probably don't have to be serious. This is Trash Panda Abundance. No, um. Trash Panda <laughs> Abundance. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is just a, a podcast about how we eat trash.
0: <laughs> Hi, I'm Kathy. And I'm Kateri. This is Hearth and Heather, a quarterly conversation about how we interact with place through art and nature.
1: On today's episode, <laughs> we talk about how murder mystery stories have infused our herbalism education, poison plant gardens, and zombie apocalypse survival.
0: Did we talk about zombie apocalypse? Th- oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: um okay, so what did you, you gather yesterday, you said?
0: Oh, I just went for a walk. But at some point on the walk, I picked a, an orange rosehip because it was pretty. Yeah. It was definitely very much like a volunteer rose bush. It was climbing up a, um, like a telephone pole wire by a bus stop. Didn't belong to anybody. and nice orange balls, and I got the grabby hand. <laughs> 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 do you know, of any, like, do they react
1: or do anything differently because of their color, or no? They're just still a rosehip. Oh, yeah,
0: I don't know. I haven't actually dried or used any of the rose hips that I collect. I just grabbed them. Hmm. Of the things I collect, I don't use very much of it. A lot of it is for purposes of identification. I'm really interested in seed pods and plant reproduction, and so I'll bring them home and look them up and see what they are, or I'll use them as photo props because some of them are really heckin' cool. Uh. So I've not used any of the rose hips that I brought home. The well, things that I use are the, the conifer things. I use the resin and the needles that I collect when I do the oil. And then I sometimes eat things because I have looked them up and they say that they're edible and I want to see what they're like. So, yeah, I've not cooked with anything. I've not made, yeah, the only thing I've used that I've foraged is the conifer stuff.
1: Okay, so, like, you just got me three questions from what you just said. So <laughs> let's, like, break okay. it down, okay? Okay. Um, okay, so first of all is that, I enjoyed that you said the rose hips didn't belong to anyone Um, because I think that this is what it comes down to, right? That you, the reason that we started this conversation is because you're not comfortable with with the word foraging for what you do because you considered it more botanical
0: crimes is what you called it.
1: I wanted to like dig into that.
0: Botanical crimes, I call it, because I think that sounds funnier than foraging. It is not that I really feel I'm committing a crime by taking, you know, a piece of a plant off somebody's property. It's a conversation I've had with friends who are photographers who have just zero hesitation about climbing right up in someone's yard and photographing, you know, their plastic animal display or their fancy rose bushes or whatever, particularly in cases where it's like a really bonkers yard display like somebody has lots and lots of dwarves and gnomes the assumption is that they know full well people are going to stop and climb into their yard and photograph it and they don't have any problems with that i uh struggle with walking into people's yards just willy-nilly i prefer to have a good reason for doing
1: (laughs) yeah i mean like you were talking about was it pears and you're saying that oh well those fruits were hanging out into the sidewalk and so therefore
0: i considered them fair game Oh, things that were inside a fence and that are hanging over the fence, I absolutely will always, yeah, I will take those. And a lot of the time if, I mean, I've been walking this neighborhood so intently for 18 months now, I have no compunction about taking from places that it's just going to fall on the ground. But a lot of people harvest what grows and are expecting, you know, as many plums as come from this branch to be used for whatever they plan to use them for. So. Mm -hmm. I will sometimes ask people if I see them. Are you using this? Do you mind if I take, you know, a sprig? Oh, rosemary doesn't count. I will just straight up tear <laughs> up pieces of rosemary off of. I mean, they're huge.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, so, okay, so you're in Portland, I'm in Chicago. And in Chicago, a lot of the vacant lots, for some reason, have wild mint.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know
1: why, but since mint is so... Like I wouldn't call it an invasive plant, but it's a, it spreads real fast. It is a
0: survivor. It's a super yeah. spreader.
1: Yeah. So I do not give a crap about mint, like taking mint at all. So yeah, so rosemary is pretty prolific. Mint. Yeah. So I can see why you wouldn't ask about rosemary.
0: Yeah. Rose hips I'm careful about because you need a certain number on plant for the plant to thrive properly. And I don't grow roses, but they have a lot of rules. You know, they're picky in a lot of ways. So I will take one rosehip, but I'm not going to, like, go take the harvestable amount off of a plant because I don't actually have the knowledge to know what that's going to do to the plant. I th-
1: yeah, I think that falls into a lot of
0: what I've
1: been reading about with, like, Native American harvesting, right? They only take a part as much as they need. They need to leave. I don't I, I don't know what the rules are for each plant, but it's something like don't take more than a third or something like that at, as a general
0: rule. Yeah, I borrowed a foraging and wild crafting book from a friend last spring, and read a lot about local stuff. And that was uh, that was the guideline for spruce tips was don't take more than a third of what is reachable, deep, like from the ground.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Uh, it, what's the What's the lichen that Carolie?
1: Oh, um, usnia
0: is that what it is? The thing that grows on?
1: Yeah, usnia. U s n e a.
0: Yeah, Polly's been using a lot of that, too. You aren't supposed to take that off of the tree that it's growing on. You're supposed to gather the branches that have fallen to the ground that has it on mm-hmm. and use that. But you don't ever take it growing.
1: Yeah, I think she told me when she was harvesting it, she actually collected it from rocks. So it must have fallen by because of wind or something. Okay, so then the other question I ha- had was... I'm going to come back to the conifer oil because I feel like that's like a really long conversation. <laughs> but... um <laughs> So then, how is it that you, like, identify what is edible? Is it just you taking stuff home and looking it up, or are you doing it on your phone at the
0: moment? Some of it I will do on my phone at the moment. It took a long time for me to find an app that I really uh, was confident about, Um, but I did find one, finally, that is really good, that you can upload your own photo to it, and it gives you several options for what the thing is and shows you other people's photographs because a lot of times things look different they don't always look like the textbook photo of the thing um but I have a secret weapon and her name is Polly (laughs) yeah well what's that what's the app that you're using it's called leaf snap okay uh and it does have ads but I keep meaning to actually buy the full version of it because I've been using it long enough now that I feel like it's accurate and justified I just haven't done
1: and is it like I only know bird watching apps? So like, does it collect like it says like yes you've you've seen this plant or whatever? Does it almost like I collector? can add it? Yeah,
0: I can I can file it away as a collection. I can't sort those, which bothers me mm-hmm. a little bit. Although that may be something I unlock with the full version. I haven't looked, but you can. It'll give you an option for uh, leaf, flower, bark, or fruit mm-hmm. as type of photo that you're uploading. So. If you're unsure, you can do any one of those four things from the same plant and see what your results come up as, which I find very useful.
1: And then, okay, so then you got the app, but then you got Miss Polly. I got Miss Polly. Who's like an an encyclopedic brain.
0: She really, really is. She will not only tell you what the thing is, but she will give you its Latin name, its common names, and what they call it in Italy, because she spent one time in Italy several years ago. (laughs) Nice. So before I found this app, I, um, well, she often just replies without my asking her when I post things in my stories. She'll just bounce back with the ID of whatever the thing is. Mm. Um, She does that less now because I think she knows that I I know a lot of the things that I photograph at this point. But, yeah, I'll ask Polly. I will come home and Google it if I don't find it on the, the app. I don't tend to like to look while I'm walking. I like to photograph while I'm walking. I like to look with my eyes while I'm walking, but I don't look it up until later. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out to be something that's edible, I will go collect it on my next walk and try
1: it out. So then do you have like a good memory that you're remembering the corners or do you actually draw yourself like a little map that's connected to the seasons or something like that?
0: Well, this gets into extensive projects that I would like to do at some point that I haven't actually started. But it has been amazing to me that I will remember where almost every photograph was taken even months later when I'm going back through my Dropbox, because uh, I don't label things when I take them as I should. I go back later, and once I have the IDs, we'll label them and label um, where I found them. But I will remember just looking at it, what the weather was like or what I was thinking about, or if I was listening to a song, what it was, or if I was on the phone. I Just being in that space with my camera and my eyes at the same time locates all my parts of me in one Based, and I can find it again when I look at the photo, which is amazing to me. I don't think I experienced that with anything else. Yeah. Photographing jewelry did a little bit of that for me, and that's what taught me to see small. It was photographing beads, and I would not see the full piece I'd made until I was looking at it through a camera lens. And sometimes mm-hmm. I would, you know, I'd finish something and think it was done, and I'd go to photograph it and go, "That's not right. It doesn't work. We have to scrap that. We go back." Or I would see something in it that I hadn't known existed until I was looking at it through the lens. So the camera always does some aspect of that for me. But the full location of my experience in a photograph is, has only ever happened to me with the plant.
1: That's interesting because for me, I find that drawing makes me have to focus more on the details because you have to actually draw them. You start noticing things that you didn't notice before. Or you start, like if you're drawing from memory, you start realizing things that you didn't capture in your memory? Oh, yeah? You know, like I remember one time I, I drew someone and they like looked at the drawing and they looked at me and they're like, I just didn't realize you were this observant, which I don't know if that was like a backhanded compliment or something, but <laughs> it was just like, I didn't realize that you you took all that in or whatever, because I, I was drawing it from memory. I wasn't drawing it from a photo. I wasn't drawing it from whatever. But when you have to look small, right, you start realizing things. hmm do you think you wouldn't be as good of a forger if you weren't photographing things?
0: I think I would now. Okay. But in the beginning, no, I needed the photographs. Sort of pin the moment mm-hmm. and to make me remember it. My memory is foggy. So I, the photographs fix those things in my head. Um, sometimes the conversations with Polly fix the things in my head, but more it's, it's more the way that I interact with the things so it sounds
1: it sounds like the photographs were helpful in training you before you felt confident enough, yeah, and then I guess the the stuff that you're saying that are like rules like for you know the roses and stuff, did you know that already because of like gardening or were you like, if I'm gonna harvest this, I need to learn what's okay like how did you approach learning about those things, I guess, like what you can harvest
0: oh very haphazardly because I don't do a lot of actual harvesting yet at the moment. I'm just learning. Um, And if I want to use something, like I'll go buy rose hips at Wildish, you know, at some point I would like to have relationships enough in the neighborhood that I can be like, can I take stuff from you? Can I take stuff from you? Can I do, you know, Yeah, yeah. yeah, super haphazardly depending on how much time I had that day or how interested I was in what I was looking at or whether I had encountered that information somewhere else like I think the roses needing fresh non-rose soil is information I got from Rosemary and Thyme from like <laughs> watching mystery like oh you know, my
1: goodness yeah some of the
0: things I know about the folklore of you comes from reading mystery novels it's all of it comes from all sorts of disparate places and it's not because I sat down and researched it very carefully
1: yeah it's definitely interesting what you pick up from like like gardening shows I mean uh Rosemary and Thyme is not technically a gardening show it's a murder mystery show that happens to have gardeners but you know they got like those british gardening shows and um you're right i have also learned a lot about plants and poisons from agatha christie and stuff so
0: oh so many plant poisons yeah <laughs> I, I at some point i would love to have a poison garden like a full-on here's yew u-tree and here's a foxglove and here's you know that creeps me out
1: it creeps you out it, poison plants creep me out. Like, so, okay, for example, I was walking around where I work and they have gardeners. They, ha- they hire gardeners. So I'm assuming that anything there is not poisonous. And so I touch it and I harvest stuff and whatnot. And I found this very beautiful bush with red, berries on it and so I picked it and it ended up being like a super highly poisonous like even to the touch and I was like photographing it and I rubbed my eyes and like I drew it and then I looked it up to see what it was and I freaked the fuck out man I was like I'm gonna die you know like I just can't I'm too I'm too dumb
0: and anxious for it
1: oh uh, no like I just can't
0: there are there are lots of things that are very poisonous and there are things that uh are only poisonous in some parts and things that are only poisonous to your skin or just irritants to your yeah
1: yeah i remember my neighborhood growing up there was a lot of people who had trees that had the trumpet flowers that was highly poisonous and i was just like
0: there's a lot of children in this neighborhood bro <laughs> 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 we're done yeah and you will get you know uh, you you will get the neighborhood watch people who are like i don't think you should grow that in your yard <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Which, some of that's true. You should maybe have a fence if you're going to have something that's highly toxic. Yeah. Um, my neighbor has a really pretty uh, ornamental plant that has uh, flowers that hang down like that, that are red uh, and have sort of a yellow stripe on them. And they're really lovely. And I hadn't noticed them before this year. Um, what is that? She said, oh, well, it's flowering maple. But it's really, like, it's very irritant to the skin so don't touch it as i'm like standing there trying to pose it so that, I can... oh my gosh. <laughs> so that i can take a good photograph of it and sure enough later on my hands were like oh man um uh, euphorbia which i mean euphorbia is a gigantic plant family there are many 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 things in it um but like poinsettia euphorbia mm-hmm. but there's lots of just ornamental euphorbia types that grow all over Portland. But that has like a milky sap to it if you snap a piece off and that's a skin irritant. I think aren't most that of have that have
1: milky sap is are like irritant as hell, I thought.
0: You might be. Yeah.
1: Dandelions. I mean dandelions are like yeah. hugely
0: medicinal, but they have the milky sap that is also yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess I just feel uh at a disadvantage when it comes to foraging, because since I grew up in Florida, it's not like forageable things grew, you know, like they did, but it was like, that's obviously a mango. Like I can eat that, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it's not like, oh, look at these mushrooms Are they going to kill me. Like, that's not, you know.
0: I'm- I'm scared to death of mushrooms. I'm scared to death of mushrooms. I would love to do wildcraft studios here who have, like, a mushroom walk twice a year. There's a spring one and a winter one for the different types of mushrooms. And I keep meaning to go on it and the class fills up really fast. But I no, I'm scared to death of mushrooms. I will always photograph them, but I won't ever touch them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I would do it as a professional. I would not trust myself enough to do it. And I think that's what it comes down to, right, is that, like, you need someone or something there to help you until you get enough confidence so you had like your app and Polly and your phone right
0: yeah but there's still even with those there are still things that i just won't mess with i mean i'll photograph anything but stuff that has small red berries just never not but ever, ever they look <laughs> the most delicious they look so yummers kirsten has a great story about uh walking in portland and seeing a dad walking with his like six-year-old daughter and they were stopping to look at a plant uh that had some flowers and some red berries on it and some birds landed on it and ate a bunch of the red berries and the dad was watching the birds and he just reached out picked a berry and put it in his mouth and the girl and kirsten looked at each other and the six-year-old girl went shaking her
1: head like why are you doing that (laughs)
0: Choke her head, like, with her eyes closed, being like, idiot.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's like a wilderness survival tactic, though, right? Like, if a bird's eating it, it should be safe. I thought it was the whole thing.
0: No. No? Man, I'm going to die. Birds can eat a lot of stuff that we can't eat. Yeah.
1: Mm. I thought I had some sort of a plan for the zombie apocalypse, but apparently not.
0: You can eat cattails. You can eat almost every part of a cattail. I can't remember what I was looking for when I stumbled into this very weird survivalist corner of the internet that had this like very devoted rant about the parts of the cattail it's crazy
1: well i mean they kind of do look like corn dogs but um (laughs) wait we're talking about the same thing right that's like looks like a sausage on a long spear yeah okay i've broken those up before and they're very compact so like he's saying that you can eat those seeds too
0: uh, you can grind various parts into a flower, uh, and then the roots and the stems that grow underwater, some of those parts are edible.
1: Oh, I mean, I could see that, I guess. I, I guess I was thinking more like survivalist. I,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't feel like you can just take parts of that apart and chomp it unless you wanted to just chew on it like it was bamboo, but he had all of these things that you can make using it.
1: Interesting. The wonderful world of
0: cattails. Well, there are lots of things that are toxic to humans in their raw form. Because, I mean, wheat being yeah. the most obvious. You can't just sit down and eat wheat. We have to do a lot of stuff to it before, before it's okay for us to digest. But we eat a lot of it.
1: That always makes me think of that rotted shark food from Sweden or whatever. Like, you have no. to let it rot for six months. And I'm like, who's the poor guy, poor guys, who had to go and nibble on it every month until someone didn't die?
0: You know, (laughs) I was wondering that with crawfish. Who was the first starving person who like dug a bug out from under the sand under the water and was like, "That looks delicious." And yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's got pinchy things on it. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's gonna be
0: great. How did we learn these things? Mm,
1: I have no idea, but yeah, trial and error. And luckily, we don't have to die for them now. So
0: you know. No, thank goodness! If I had to survive in the wilderness it would not it would not be pretty. I think about it sometimes when I'm walking around the neighborhood, like you know if there's food system collapse, where do I know where there's food and it's everywhere in my neighborhood, even if it's just somebody's like neglected kale plant, but it's all it's almost all of a sugared fruit variety yeah, it's not a balanced diet
1: yeah, like you know I see random pear trees that the city put in. Which I think you told me that they make sure to only put one gender of tree out so that they can't get flowers or something like this.
0: They've started to fix that. City mm-hmm. planners have started to fix that because they didn't realize what was going to happen with that. But I guess around the turn of the century up to mid century, they only planted male trees because the female trees make a mess. Yeah. But that means that uh, male and female trees have um, opposite. Very, very faint opposite electrical charges. So that the pollen uh, is attracted to where it's supposed to go to pollinate the tree. Uh, And so if you only have male trees, they're just releasing pollen, releasing pollen, releasing pollen, releasing pollen. So the general populace is slowly over decades growing more and more and more allergic. Oh, interesting. So once they figured this out, they have started to repair it. But it's a long process to repair.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so I've noticed like pear trees in my neighborhood that is not belong to anyone. It's just in, I don't know, I don't know how many cities have this, but it's like that green space between the sidewalk and the, and the road. And I know not all cities have that. And so there'll be like fruit trees there, plums and stuff. And I'm just like, is this ornamental though? Or is it an actual like edible fruit? And and I'm not worried about it being poisonous. I'm worried about it tasting like butt, basically, like it just being not (laughs) a fruit, good fruit tree,
0: you know? Yeah. And I I might worry about it being toxic because you don't know what's in that soil. Yeah. In a city, you don't know. Well, unless you go look it up, you don't know what stood on that spot previously. And then there's lots of pollution. Like we have, I mean, it's definitely a concern when I'm, when I am foraging. And one of the reasons that the conifer oil is the only thing I do is because it's topical. We don't eat it. And I have a decent amount of confidence in my not poisoning our skin from whatever I'm right. using. And lots of people have gardens in the city and lots of people have fruit trees in the city and they eat off of them. And so I feel like I'm fairly safe eating off of them as well. But this is, uh, and I know that this, Side of the river in Portland didn't have a lot of industrial development in it this is you know there wasn't a factory standing on the same ground that my neighborhood garden is standing on yeah but that's not the case for lots and lots and lots of cities mm-hmm. um and even with that being the case we have really high carbon emissions in Oregon so the air has not great stuff in it that settles on me you know anything I bring home I wash a lot okay before I eat it, even if it's, you know, even if it's a friend who's like, come over and harvest my pear tree, I will wash it. Mm -mm.
1: Yeah, I I saw some guy harvesting berries off of, uh, this is so wild, off of a tree that was right next to a car repair shop. And I wanted to ask him what they were and, you know, what he was going to do with them. But he looked at me and he thought I was going to like Yell at him or something, so he ran away with like his little grocery bag full of fruit. And I was like, "No, I was curious, curious, not a narc."
0: Oh my god! Can we get buttons that say that, or you know, patches, "Curious, not a narc."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! You know,
0: just walk up. Like I'm not, not, not going to care in you. I just want you to teach me about what you're doing. I think I told you. Did I tell you about my friend Natalie who lives in Chicago and forages a lot? No. She and her partner, Ben, started, they got into foraging, I don't know, three or four years ago. She picks a lot of something called service berries that is popular with urban foragers, and I have yet to look it up to see what it actually is. It's like a small, blue-looking thing that is edible, but... Hmm.
1: There's a lot of ginkgo trees on the south side, and I see a lot of grandmas going and picking those up, which I just don't know how they stand the smell, because it smells awful.
0: I saw a woman doing that in my neighborhood. I'm like, what are you gonna do with those? They are so stank. But there is a woman I follow on Instagram who's a forager, and she had a whole she had a whole thing about what you can do with the ginkgo mm. nuts or berries or whatever they're called. I'm frankly never going to do it. They smell awful, and I don't want to get involved. Yeah,
1: yeah, she was wearing masks before it was cool, like because I guess of the smell. She just Oof, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it at all. But. Mm-mm. I'm trying to get confidence to ask people, you know, what they're picking and what they're going to do with it when I'm back out again. And, you know, you don't have to stay six feet away from someone. And hopefully they won't run away from me thinking I'm a narc. (laughs) There's a jasmine bush that grows on my property and it sticks out on the sidewalk. And I have seen a few people picking those. And they're always like, oh, sorry, if they see me like going out to the mailbox, they're like, oh, I'm going to run away. I'm like, it's fair game. It's in the sidewalk. I'm fine. With I don't
0: care. Fine. <laughs> like, I mean, well, Shayna goes out during lilac season and like under cover of darkness gets an armload of lilac.
1: <laughs> okay. So let's go back around to your conifer oil because to me, that's like insane. Okay. Because I didn't grow up around those kind of trees. So I just don't understand... The concept of harvesting sap to begin with,
0: like it's just weird <laughs> to me. <laughs> okay, what I'm using from the conifer is not actually sap; it's resin. So that's okay. what happens when the tree is injured. Okay. When a, when a conifer tree is injured, um, either by you know, somebody chops it, or a branch falls off in a storm, or a bird has gone a little too crazy on it, Uh, it releases resin, which is, it's sort of like that, but it's much thicker to heal itself. And it has all kinds of great antimicrobial properties. Like if you are injured in the woods, pretty severely injured, you want to try to find some to seal your wound both to keep it closed and for the antimicrobial properties. So it is just, I think you've seen pictures that I've posted on Instagram where I have this jar full of like just sticky dunk. but you can see it dripping down the tree. As long as you're taking from underneath where the wound is on the tree, you can take any of that. It actually is flowing at the point,
1: at the time that you're collecting it. You're not like breaking off hunks of hard. Both. Okay.
0: Partly that'll depend on the time of year as well, Uh, you know, whether it has been raining, whether it's been cold, whether it's been warm. But yeah, it does solidify into chunks on the bark and in, oh, like the piece that my cousin sent me that I showed you, like the great big chunk from the ponderosa pine. That was like, like amber. It looks looks like a piece of amber. Yeah. Yeah. She said that was in the crook of the tree. So it had obviously just pulled down and collected. And that was, that's older resin that's been sitting there for some time. The stuff that I get is still pretty soft. Um, it's like honey. It's, it's got the consistency of honey. So yeah, I'll just scrape that off with a knife and then break off some of the larger chunks and collect it into a jar. But anything that is below where the wound is in the tree is fair game. You don't want to be taking it off of where it's repairing itself, but it's tons. It'll just drip down and drip down and drip down, and it'll do it for months after it needs to. Like The tree mm. that I've gotten most of the the Douglas fir resin off of for both last year's batch and this year's batch. It's the same tree in the park. Oh, wow. It's just, there's loads of it.
1: How hard is it to spot that sap? Is it one of these like tiny detail things that we were talking about earlier?
0: Does it blend in with the bark or? It can blend it. The really fresh stuff is harder to spot. It blends in with the bark, but it, um, Once it has aged and hardened a little bit, it's white. So you want to just look, you actually want to look for what looks like a big stripe of bird shit down the side of a tree. It isn't. And it'll be different colors depending on, and it can be harder to spot on the the spruce. I got some from spruce in the park last year, and that was really hard to see. I had to be up close in it, which is tricky because spruce have very stiff, spruce do not want to be touched. They have very stiff, very sharp needles. So if you get close to it, you will get poked. The pine stuff is darker. The stuff from the from the Douglas fir is pretty clear, and then it hardens to that white stuff. So that's basically what I'm looking for when I go out. I'm just looking for a big chunk of white somewhere. Mm. Um, and then I know that both that can be harvested, and there's probably also fresh running oh. somewhere on that tree.
1: So then I only know how to make herbal oil from dried herbs where you just basically it's like a tea you you steep the herbs in your base oil so then how are you getting that resin and turning it into an
0: oil but i should say i'm using rebecca altman's recipe for this here it uh she had that at the bottom of one of her emails about conifer magic a year ago a couple years ago okay um and she has a full you know full set of instructions for how to do this it just goes in the pot with the oil uh, on a very low heat for a very long time and it dissolves into the oil like I don't um, there's always a little bit of leftover that's got some bark stuck in it or some needles stuck in it or that just didn't melt all the way I found that particularly with the um, the hard pine stuff there mm-hmm. was more leftover this year um, because that didn't melt all the way down but it just melts into the oil it just gets infused all the way in there Um, And what doesn't get sort of incorporated over the space of maybe two to three slow hours, I will then just peel out of the pan and toss because it's kind of cruddy. Mm. Yeah, it just gets, and this is one of the advantages of having the pretty fresh Douglas fir stuff is because it's thinner and it does just absorb into the oil. It just gets incorporated.
1: That sounds a lot like how I make a balm, which is that you put the beeswax in there and you wait for it to incorporate
0: and you do it at a pretty low heat. It's the same, yeah, it's the same principle. It just won't be, it doesn't make it sticky or harder the way that the the beeswax does. And I'm not sure why it doesn't, honestly, because when I made beeswax wraps a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. and in order to make those faintly sticky so that they seal, um, the instructions I used for that said to use copal resin. So that made it a little bit sticky, which the oil isn't, so... I don't know. It may just be the combination of the copal resin with the beeswax. Yeah. Maybe that all of the things are sticky in that.
1: It's so wild that resin would not make it sticky because it's in itself is sticky.
0: I don't know. Yeah. And it doesn't settle out either. Huh? It's a little cloudy, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah. I just finished that oil from last year, like maybe a few months ago. It was my favorite. I loved it. You got more coming. It was great. Okay. So that was what you, you were excited about harvesting that resin to make gifts and stuff. So what are you excited to harvest now that we're technically, well, I don't know how it is in Portland, but in Chicago, shit's dead. Like (laughs) there is nothing coming up. So like, is there something that is harvestable right now in Portland?
0: Not for me. It is mushrooms. There are mushrooms. Um, But that would not be really in the city. That would, you'd have to be out in the woods. Rose hips. I could do rose hips. Mm-hmm. Well, I say that. I actually don't know. I don't know if there's a if there's a time that's supposed to be most optimal for gathering rose hips. Is it right after the roses have died? Is it any time that there aren't roses on that? that's that would be a question for Polly.
1: Yeah, it's I feel like this is how I've approached herbalism. I don't do the foraging part, I just, you know, get the dried bits. And for me, I'm just like, okay, each month I'm gonna learn about a new one. Or I'm going to learn about a new herb until I get tired of it. And then I'll keep going. Because otherwise, it's so freaking easy to get overwhelmed and be like, what am I doing? And what am, you know.
0: You have much greater knowledge than I do about what the specific plants are for and how you can use them. I'm like, that looks cool. Let's take a photo. Is that something you can eat? Is that something I can burn? Great. Move on. I don't, I don't think they're,
1: they're not in my head. I just take vigorous notes. Vigorous? Is that a good word for that? <laughs> I take I take ample okay. notes.
0: Yeah. Ample. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh,
1: I just take a lot of notes and then I reference them. Like that's, that's it. Cause I, um, I quench for knowledge catering. God damn it. No.
0: <laughs> you do. You, yeah. yeah. You are, you are a much better dive in and research the thing thoroughly scholar than I am. I am. The skipping stone of interest.
1: I mean, I do do that too, though, unfortunately. So I'm like, I'm going to learn all the things about X. And then I'm like, what's that shiny thing over there? I want to
0: learn about that. So I really cannot fucking wait to go walking in the woods with you and (laughs) explore some of these things together in real life. Because we've spent a lot of time together in real life, but none of it has been since we were interested in plant and herbalism.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, for some reason, that happened after we both moved away from each other so that sucks but we'll get together and we'll go tromping through a forest well
0: that'd be great
1: so then what is the next thing that you are excited to harvest if it's not during the winter like what what about spring is there anything that you're looking forward to
0: every spring i look forward to and do not find this um even though it grows everywhere nettles i would really like to find and harvest my own nettles. Unfortunately, the only place where I know where there are lots of them is in the canyon at Reed College, which you do not forage in the canyon. That is one of the very explicit rules of the public being allowed to walk in there. It is a protected area, and it's specifically for study by students at Reed, and you don't go in there and take from it. So even though I know where the nettles are and what they're for and what to do with them, I don't take them out of there.
1: Good for them, but it sucks for
0: you. The same with horsetail. Oh,
1: what is, what is horsetail?
0: Horsetail is a really cool, uh, the best source of bioavailable silica. So it is, when dried or used in a tincture, really good for, um, injuries, mending injuries, broken bones, brains. Mm. And there is a ton of it growing. It grows, same place as nettles, that nettle grows and, you know, damp, Hmm. damp little near the water and it's beautiful it's incredibly lovely but there's a stand of it that has both uh the reproducing parts and the harvestable parts so i have a really good photograph of the part that has like you know says the, the bloom on it and then the part that you would gather oh that's and so i am cool. super excited having having looked it up and figured out what it was super excited to come across the stand that showed both parts of it I was like look it's like <laughs> my textbook <laughs> i can't touch it
1: Oh, my God. And I put
0: it on Instagram, and somebody in, like, I don't know, South Carolina somewhere who follows me is like, my yard is full of that. Please come and take it. Yeah. <laughs> That's not helpful. Not helpful. Uh, yeah. The same with mullein, that great big huge, oh, huge yeah. plant with the fuzzy leaves that has so many medicinal properties. It's just a heckin' weed. It grows everywhere. people like, please take it out of my yard. It's Which, invasive. You know, Oh, it's so invasive. Yeah. Do not plant that unless you are, which is actually hilarious. The women from um, Rise Up Remedies mm-hmm. started growing melon, and it took them a couple of years to get it going properly. They're like this weed that grows everywhere. When we want to cultivate it on purpose, it's not interesting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. um... And that's another thing I would be really delighted to take, but it's almost always right by a road. And I don't, really want to take a thing for lung health that has been literally breathing and eating vehicle toxins. Yeah. Carly and I have talked about that with with like red clover. She found a great stand of red clover, but she doesn't harvest anything because anything could have been growing. Anything could have been on the site where that is now growing in San Francisco. There's, you know.
1: Yeah, well, if you do get nettles, they make an amazing pesto.
0: They do make an amazing, yeah, yeah like garlic. Like really earthy.
1: Oh, so good. Whenever I see it at the farmer's market, I'm like, yoink.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I always buy it at the farmer's market. I said We have two forage booths at the farmer's market, and I love both of them. Um, nettles, theoretically, everywhere. I would love to get my own, but I have not come across it anywhere except in the canyon.
1: Maybe, uh, you know, the nettle god has heard you and is like, oh, let me just sprinkle a little <laughs> bit outside of the canyon. <laughs> Like right at the entrance before the we'll protected put it, we'll area. Just
0: put it out here right by the dormitories for you Exactly. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That would be great. Yeah, spring is spring is a super exciting plant time because everything is so ephemeral. It only lasts like just the tiniest amount of time. But it's the first green thing that you've seen in months and months and months and months. So it's really all the vegetables of spring are super thrilling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I believe I learned this from a mystery novel going full circle. Uh, Snowdrops. I didn't know what they were until they were mentioned in a mystery book or something. And then sure enough, coming through the snow, these tiny little bells of flowers that are white are peeking up and they look so weird and alien next like sprouting from snow it's so wild
0: and they're so delicate you'd think there's no way they could possibly survive that amount of cold and like the grainy crusty snow but no there they are yeah
1: they're there and that's when i know that like it's finally ending uh, you know the chicago winters finally gonna uh, go away and they get they're in chicago they're paired with a dark purple flower that is similar looking but i have not been able to identify what it is yet
0: oh um instead
1: of drooping down they go up
0: Oh, they do. Okay, I was thinking of one that droops down that has sort of it's it's purple, but it has like a faint blue stripe on it.
1: Well, you know, next or this upcoming spring, I'll take a picture next time and I'll be like, "What is this? I know those are snowdrops, but the
0: other ones." <laughs> get get the leaf snap on your phone. It's really good.
1: Yeah, I'll get that.
0: Do you have a bird app that you like?
1: I I can't remember what it's called. Whenever I go on the feminist bird club walks, which they haven't had one this entire year, obviously. They always say, like, oh, and we'll be uh, putting the birds up that we identify today on something dumb, like iBird or eBird or some crap like that. I don't know what it is, (laughs) you know? Yes. Um, And I I feel like I've downloaded five different ones and always undownload them because they're not doing what I want them to do. I don't necessarily know what I want them to do yet. So That's how
0: I felt about the plant one. I didn't know what I needed from it until something got it right.
1: Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for talking nerdy with me. Thanks for asking. This was super fun. <laughs> curious. Not an arc. Not an arc. I'm curious.